Hey, chiropractors, welcome to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing, business, and professional growth with some of the leading experts in the industry. Welcome to another episode of Modern Chiropractic Mastery. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, and today I have an interview with Dr. Lindsay Muma. And she's one of those chiropractors that I've known for a while. She was on the podcast a few years ago. Uh, we've, we've had digital interactions and such, and finally met in person in January at our first Mastermind weekend. Uh, she has joined our Mastermind, and it's, it's always fun to, to actually meet people in person that you've kind of known for a while, and it's always interesting, right? And uh, we just had a great weekend as a mastermind, uh, 22 members. We've grown from last year. We had a hundred percent return rate from the year before, which was awesome. And it was fun to have new members uh, like Lindsay added and integrated and um, try to make them be, you know, become part of the group really quickly. And, and she was someone that really did. And um, we talk a little bit about on this episode, but very dynamic and someone that I think really is a representation of the chiropractors we work with or our audience like you that listens where she's really clinically first and then has layered on or skill stack like I've talked about. Uh, she's got quite a creative side uh, and we're going to talk about the book she's written and you know it's just a, a phenomenal effort to put all that into writing a book with practice and as she, she'll tell you kids and all that. Uh, but she's also someone that continues to look to improve her business in marketing and really fine tune that with clinical being the foundation. She's very representative of what I would call an MCM chiropractor. That's just awesome clinically and then really trying to grow their practice ethically. And we dive into the pelvic floor today and we have a nice clinical conversation around that. Uh, and we know we talk a lot of, about the biomechanics and some of the treatment and evaluations. And we also talk about other things like, you know, getting, there's plenty of good male chiropractors that work with pregnancy pediatrics in these certain conditions. And we talk about that. And uh, we just get into a, a whole array of conversation around this topic of the pelvic floor. And you'll get a lot out of it clinically. And you'll also get a lot out of maybe some ideas for your practice to diversify a little bit on your patient base. So um, without further ado, here is Dr. Lindsay Muma, and we're going to talk about how your pelvic floor sucks. All right. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. I really appreciate your time. This is round two. We had you on a few years ago, and today we're going to dive into a, a very particular topic and, and have a lot of good conversations around that. Uh, but before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself personally, professionally, and we'll go from there. Uh, so personally, I'm a homeschooling mom and I have two boys. They are six and nine. They're the coolest gentlemen that I know with the exception of the other gentlemen in my life. I have a husband um, who is legitimately the most patient man who exists. I mean, he teaches high school. So that tells you, you know, what you need to know about him. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, we currently live on a tiny little homestead, you know, garden chickens, that sort of thing. I have five acres that I have a lot of big plans for. So that's, you know, in the the five to 35 year plan of what we're going to do out there. <laughs> um, and then professionally, I'm a chiropractor. I teach for MPI and move mentors. And uh, I 
have a multidisciplinary practice here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and been going at it for next um, next month will be 11 years. So 11 years. Yeah. It's been a great 11 years. And, you know, it's uh, it was fun to meet you in person finally at our mastermind yeah. last week, uh, I guess two weeks, almost a week and a half ago. That was a, a lot of fun. And it was good to get to know you from, you know, just the uh, we've obviously had it on the podcast and we've communicated before, but it was good to to really understand how your your practice has evolved as well. And, and it's been cool to to see that. I'm so glad that I'm doing the mastermind. I'm like I did I didn't really have any expectations other than, you know, if Mark King recommends something, then I'm I'm on board. <laughs> and so I I I signed up with really no expectations. And then like right after I had signed up was when everything kind of fell apart here. So uh, just to give a little bit more background uh we lost our back office manager in October um, in a shooting in Raleigh, and it, it's it's been legitimately the hardest thing to go through in practice. Um, and we're we're absolutely still in recovery mode from that. But uh, yeah. I just because of all that, I was like, I don't, whatever. I'm signed up for this mastermind. I don't even know. You know, you helped me get my hotel room booked because I just wasn't even thinking about it. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the the camaraderie of being around other business owners, like truly the only people who can understand the level of loss that we have experienced are other small business owners. Like, you know, you picture the person in your office who's kind of running the show behind the scenes. That's who I'm missing, you know? And so not only am I missing that part of my office, I'm also missing my friend and, you know, small staff of 10, like you really miss that person. But, but the, the mastermind was actually like, unexpectedly, right? That was, that was very healing for me to be around other people who could truly understand what it is that I'm, you know, what I've been going through. Obviously my staff understands and they feel it, but like, you know, at a high level, other business owners kind of really are, are able to tune in to what's been, you know, happening on my end since, since October. So. Yeah, obviously, you know, and, and our condolences for sure. And it's such, such a, um, a challenging thing for obvious reasons. And, and, um, what I found over the last year plus with the mastermind was, uh, you know, in the, uh, you know, longevity of a, of a career and profession, uh, a lot of those people have gone through a lot of hard things, obviously Mm -hmm. maybe not as hard as that, but, uh, something where you can actually lend an ear and and, and not be on an Island. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, that was a, a, a bonus from the week. I mean, mm-hmm. I have pages of notes and so many things that I'm implementing and I learned a ton, but that was, that was just a bonus. You know, I think in general, chiropractors are really wonderful people and it's, it's fun to spend a weekend surrounded by wonderful people. So thanks yeah, for hosting think, the mastermind. Of course. And you know, and you're indicative of the type of members we have where, you know, most, I would say all the members are very clinically oriented and very clinically minded but there's nothing wrong with also getting your marketing and your business and your uh, communications on point as well to yep. be able to even highlight that even more. And that's going to be our our main focus today for you is highlighting a clinical aspect of it, uh, because, you know, you you travel a lot. You're going to be in Vegas. We were talking about that. You travel a lot on the cl- clinical side of things. And so you're on the forefront of whether it's teaching for MPI or speaking about uh, various topics. Uh, you'll be, like I said, at Vegas. Uh, and so um, we're going to dive into a very particular niche today. And, and I was telling you before we started recording, we have a lot of coaching members that um, are are in this niche and mm-hmm. it falls under the umbrella of, you know, the, the postpartum pregnancy pediatrics, but specifically 
uh, pelvic floors. So give us a little bit about your, your, your professional and say clinic background of how this really developed for you and how it's evolved over the 11 years. The, the evolution of it is, is huge really, because, you know, I, I had a background in like being exposed to DNS when I was a student. And so core and pelvic floor stabilization was like a big part of that, but it was more focused on the upper aspect of the core. I would say DNS has come a long way on its own in offering more specific education regarding the pelvic floor and like kind of how everything functions together. So it was, it was sort of almost to my mind anyway, like an afterthought of like core and pelvic floor and it just got brushed all together. Um, but I, you know, I, we, we got pregnant in 2012, which is the year that I started my practice. So in March of 2012, I started my practice and the plan was we were going to wait a little while to have kids. But then I was just like, well, I mean, whatever, it's going to be harder to leave my practice later. Like once things kind of start getting uh, like they, they're building, it would be harder. And that was true. When I took my second maternity leave, it was harder to leave my practice than it was the first time. But, um, and so I was like, wait a second, I, I need to know a little bit more about my own pelvic floor. And that really is the only time that people seem to pay any attention to their pelvic floor is when they want to get pregnant, when they are pregnant and all of a sudden things are different or in the postpartum time period, the other time period that people start to pay attention to is in the perimenopause and menopausal uh, time period of life when again, things are changing. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've entered that perimenopausal window, like age-wise mm -hmm. and a lot of my patients who are in perimenopause and early menopause or, or are into menopause, I think it's actually like, it might be one of the hardest times in the life cycle. Um, because you're still taking care of your kids. And oftentimes you're now starting to take care of your parents, yep. you know, and then you're basically going through the hormonal cascade of puberty in reverse. So it's like puberty, but with responsibilities and that yet yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, but so you add yeah. on to that, that there's like new pelvic floor dysfunction that can show up in that time period of life as well. So there are these certain pockets of time that people start to pay attention to the pelvic floor. And it's usually because it's, it's making noise. You know, this, this is an alarm bell that's going off. It's saying like, Hey, things are not going well for whatever reason. And the, you know, it's typically leaking. So, you know, there are various forms of pelvic floor dysfunction. The most common is going to be stress urinary incontinence where you laugh, cough, jump, sneeze, and you leak urine unintentionally. And so, um, I, I, I started, I, you know, I, I started investigating a little bit more. I did some Herman and Wallace courses that, that I had access to and, and I was like, the things that I was learning weren't really making sense. I was like, I kind of need to put this into the DNS model, but I, I need a little bit more information about the pelvic floor. And I, I, I really, I, I did a lot of trial and error with my, with my patients because the, you know, there, there was information that was available, but it was like, okay, well, pelvic floor exercises are helpful. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> what, you know, you're finding in some of these PubMed articles, yeah. but Kegels were just a concentric muscle contraction. You know, if, if you contract and lift and kind of suck up the pelvic floor, that's one thing that you could do. But what about eccentric 
contraction of the pelvic floor. And what about the fact that in the gait cycle, both sides of the pelvic floor are doing different things. And then you add on more dynamic movements where you, you put the body under load, or you want to do an explosive plyometric move. And then you're seeing leaking that happens with, you know, double unders or box jumps in these in CrossFit workouts. And so it's like, okay, there's more to this than just a concentric contraction of the pelvic floor. And, and what is it? And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, um, I actually have taken the DNS women's health course three times because I just, I'm like, I need to learn more. I need to learn more. Mm -hmm. I need to learn more. And then I would take some of the things, uh, bring them back into practice, kind of troubleshoot them with my patients, you know, and I'm doing this alongside joint play and, and, uh, the variety of things that you see that kind of come across in, in pelvic pain, you start to see some other signs of pelvic floor dysfunction that aren't necessarily leaking. Like maybe you have uh, constipation or uh, uh, hemorrhoids. Those, those are other examples of dysfunction within the pelvic floor. Um, you know, just more of my personal story. This is, this is entirely too much information, but I don't mind sharing it. And I, I shared it in we're my book. We're all professional. Yeah. We're all professionals <laughs> here. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I had hemorrhoids in my second pregnancy and, uh, and th that pelvic floor dysfunction was causing me to have SI joint pain, which I, I was doing exercises. I was getting adjusted. I started seeing PT as well. I was, I was doing all sorts of things and I had this persistent SI joint pain. Well, then my baby went breach because babies don't really want to be in an area of inflammation. And I was like, holy crap, I'm planning a home birth. I really need to kind of get this under control. So I actually did a treatment for the hemorrhoids. Once the hemorrhoids were under control, then my uh, SI pain went away. My baby went back head down and everything was you know, good to go from there. But the, the variety of pelvic floor dysfunction things that kind of come along with pelvic pain, I think it's an area that a lot of people are overlooking because we just see the pain and we're not asking the right questions of our patients and, and patients don't think that it's a problem. You know, they laugh it off when they have to go to the bathroom before they do a workout, or if they pee a little bit when they jump or they cross their legs when they sneeze, you know, they don't think of these things as being signs of dysfunction. What I tell my patients all the time is if every single time that you laughed, your elbow started leaking, you'd probably get that checked out. <laughs> you know, like why, why is this not a big deal? Because it's coming out of your pelvic floor. Like this is a problem when we need to address it and we can do better here. So, uh, 45 minutes later, that's the, um, answer to your question of how, <laughs> how things have no, evolved. That's great. And, and it was, you, you segued it perfect and you concurrently educated us. So it was perfect. <laughs> uh, good job. Brevity no, is you know, not my forte, but I mean, I can talk. <laughs> hey, it's a 45 minute show. We're good. Um, <laughs> You know, it's obviously it's an important topic and it's and it's something that um, has such a life implication to it for people because it can mm -hmm. be embarrassing. You know, like I'm sure there's a percentage of the women who just like laugh it off and it's funny, but for people like it can be embarrassing and it's oh, yeah. something that they right that like they'll be self-conscious of and there's a lot of different things uh, that go with it. And so you're you're not only addressing a, a physical component that you can fix, but you're really solving a big, big problem in their it's life. It's a quality so of life issue for sure. There are so many people who are in nursing homes because they cannot control their bladder. Like it's, it's hard to live on your own if you can't make it to the bathroom. Yep. And then your family is coming in and like cleaning up urine and feces all over your home. That that's not a long standing thing that, that a lot of families will sign up to continue doing.
So now there are people going into nursing homes simply because they don't have pelvic floor control. So when you now put it to a patient that way, they're like, oh, yeah. I guess this isn't quite as funny as I thought it was, because if I don't get this under control now, it's only going to continue to get worse. We can intervene much earlier and, and make things better so that that's not, you know, kind of a dire situation that you end up in. All right, docs, here is a new opportunity for you from Darcy Sullivan of Propel. She is our SEO specialist in helping out many chiropractors uh, with their search engine optimization and making sure Google is finding you and getting you new patients. It's amazing how many new patients chiropractors can get and are getting when they do uh, the SEO right and a few other things. And Darcy is offering a free SEO workshop just for chiropractors, and you can sign up for that at bit.ly bit.ly slash propel mcm that is bit.ly bit.ly propel mcm modern chiropractic marketing right and so check out that link and we're going to have you go over five seo secrets to owning the first page of google uh, without buying ads and darcy's going to give that free workshop one hour to really help grow your practice and start churning new patients from the ever mighty Google, which is still king in the online marketing. So check that out at bit.ly slash propel MCM for the one hour free workshop. Perfect. You answered one of my two questions was that there can be long-term ramifications for this yeah. if they don't address it. Yep. And then two, are, are you doing anything with the elderly public? Like, is there anything at that point that you can do, or is it if they're 75 yeah, they're actually, uh, one of the studies that I shared in my book, uh, there were elderly patients who were seen, it was like six visits or something like that. And all of the participants in the study, I mean, it wasn't like a great study, but all of the participants who were in it had improvements in their, uh, in, in like variety of dysfunction that they were having. So some of them were incontinent. Some of them was, um, nighttime waking in order to urinate. And some of it was like just the amount of incontinence that they did have lessened, but every single one of them, and they weren't even doing any additional therapy. It was literally adjustment only for those patients. So some of the things that we're doing as chiropractors, and this is what, um, you know, last year I had the opportunity to present at Parker Vegas. And I was just talking about addressing the pelvic floor externally. Cause I think that a lot of chiropractors are sort of intimidated from, you know, talking about the pelvic floor because we're not doing internal work. Now, some chiropractors are, some scopes of practice are appropriate for that. Um, and, you know, some people have gone on to get internal uh, pelvic floor work training, but most of us are working on the outside of the body. So if, if we're not working on the inside of the pelvic floor, then, you know, how can we affect it? But there are so many things like uh, Heidi Havick did a uh, a study of pregnant women in their second trimester, if they get adjusted, they have a relaxation of the pelvic floor that non-pregnant women didn't have. So that's something that's so specific to a chiropractic adjustment and a pregnant patient that's not happening in, in non-pregnant patients, which tells me that there's like a hormonal aspect to this, that when you get adjusted, there's like, oh, okay, relaxation of the pelvic floor is, is the response, which is going to be very helpful in the birthing process, obviously, because we need the pelvic floor to be able to relax so that baby can come out of the birth canal. But the, um, you know, it's simply adjusting in the thoracolumbar junction, the, uh, lumbosacral junction, either of the SI joints, adjusting the hips, these things can directly impact the pelvic floor simply because of, of how your physiology is intertwined. So we're, able to impact what's happening with the pelvic floor 
even without meaning to. So if we mm -hmm. start to do it with a little bit of intention and start to actually follow up with our patients about what are your symptoms like, you know, a patient might say like, oh, I have this nagging low back pain. And, but if you're following up with them about some of the other symptoms that they're experiencing, like, well, how many times did you get up to go to the bathroom last night? Because any more than one time in the middle of the night, that's not normal. And so if your patient's like, actually, I slept through the night last night. I didn't even think about that. Okay, well, yeah, I understand you still have some pain, Mrs. Jones. We're working through that. But here are the symptoms that that your body is showing you that you're actually improving in. You know, and so it's it's uh it's more far-reaching than just leaking a little bit of urine, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we're able to impact that simply with adjustments. But then when you add on some manual therapy, you add on exercises, you're you're knocking it out of the park. Is there any sexual dysfunctions that occur with pelvic floor issues with these patients? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so uh, oftentimes patients with pelvic floor dysfunction will have an increase in tension in their pelvic floor. So then that can yeah. cause painful insertion, painful sex. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lack of orgasm. That's another possibility. Uh, vulvodynia is a little bit uh, typically more complex. But mm -hmm. anytime that there's sexual dysfunction happening, there usually is a little bit more complexity simply because of the intimacy issues that, that start to come up uh, with the dysfunction as well. So a, a lot of these are multifactorial, but if you start to take care of the biomechanical aspect of it, you can really make a big difference in quality of life for, for these patients. And then I'd love to talk because like I have this conversation with chiropractors in regards to just, you know, one of the things that's hard about being a doctor in general is you have to be willing to have challenging conversations with adults. You know, like yep. we get patients say, hey, like I can't have sex with someone because of my back pain. And you have to be able to look and have a conversation around that. Or, you know, it could be something you have to tell them like they have bone cancer, right? Like there, we, we have to have really hard conversations with patients and there's no easy way of doing it. But um, what have you found that has helped with your communication on these sensitive subjects with, with people. Uh, do you just try not to make it weird? Have you like got experience, like any insights that you can provide? I, I, it's such a great question because I think that that's one of the reasons why in general, we stay away from this, you know, uh, inconveniently located musculoskeletal tissue, right? Like we're dealing with, with musculoskeletal issues throughout the entire body we tend to not pay as much attention to this because it's a little bit uncomfortable to have those conversations. So one of the ways that we uh, sort of make it known is by having intentional questions on our intake form. So mm -hmm. if, you know, like everybody has the red flag question of have you leaked urine simply because we, we want to know, is there a cauda equina syndrome, right? So like in your OPQRC, yeah. you're, you're just asking the red flag questions. Well, I have an additional checkmark box of, do you have these signs or symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction? So I have listed on their painful intercourse, stress, urinary incontinence, urge incontinence, bowel incontinence, hemorrhoids. Those things are listed out. So then people are like, oh, I mean, yeah, I have hemorrhoids, but I, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but it opens up their mind a little bit to this doctor is going to ask me about these things. So then when I do actually ask them those questions, you know, because I like to go through the their intake form and, and question by question, okay, this you said yes to this, tell me more about that. Um, okay, so you didn't mark anything. Uh, you don't have any issues with uh, hemorrhoids, difficulty starting or stopping the flow of urine, sir, you know, any of those types of things. It's already on the paperwork. So they know that I'm going to ask them those questions. And then, I mean, 
the repetition of it, right? Like I have these conversations all the time. So it's not, it's not hard for me. The first couple of times you have any hard conversation with a patient, it's hard. And, Mm -hmm. and the more that you practice those, those things, which, you know, if you're showing up intentionally in practice, then, then you are practicing. Um, And so if you intentionally ask the question, notice the patient's body language, like, oh, they looked a little awkward when I said that I must've been awkward about it. Mm -hmm. And kind of, you know, let that feed into your own, uh, information about, well, if I say it like this, it seems to land better. If I'm really professional about it and I'm a little uptight, they seem to be a little bit uptight. If I'm pretty relaxed about it, they seem to be more relaxed. And, and, you know, everybody has a different sort of patient population, my patient population, like we've got, you know, dim lighting and incense burning and birth photography on the walls. And people are like, yeah, this lady's into weird stuff. She's got some witchy ways about her and she, she's going to ask me weird questions, you know, like if we kind uh-huh. of already have that vibe going. Yeah. So they're not expecting it to be sterile and very formal. They're expecting it to be like open and welcoming. And, you know, um, and so I, I, I think that will vary from patient population to patient population, but I mean, I have, you know, like some, uptight executive male patients. And I'm like, sir, we're going to be palpating the outside of your pelvic floor today. How's your flow of urine? You know, like I I need to be able to have those conversations regardless of the patient who's in front of me, because that's my responsibility as a doctor. Yeah. Speaking of regardless of the patient that's in front of you, I had a funny story uh, many years ago, my, one of my best friends uh, since teenage years. um, And I've known his mom since then. He referred her mom in, in to me. And she comes in, she, and she's just right out of the gate. She's like, I was having sex with my boyfriend last night. And I like, and I, and so I, perfect. I, I just is like, oh, like, I'm trying to. Keep, okay. Mrs. Like, Jones. Yeah. It's a, and I was like, Oh, okay. We're going there already. All right. <laughs> good. Best That's an interesting mechanism of injury. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you've heard the conversation a million times as a, as a chiropractor, but when it's your best friend's mom, it's like, Oh, this is a different level of this is a different level of comfort that we have here thank you i'm a <laughs> so, professional in all circumstances yeah that's that's when you know you're a doctor right, <laughs> right. Um, and actually let's i wanted to have a little bit of a topic around this it made me think about awkward conversations but um obviously within this niche uh working with pregnancy pediatrics postpartum and all that it tends to be female chiropractors uh, mm-hmm. on a larger scale doing it but I do have some chiropractors that I know and I've worked with that are male chiropractors that work with the same population. Um, any insights, any thoughts on that? I know there's a lot of male chiropractors out there that would really love to to work with this uh, population. And I don't think they should be excluded from it. Um, no, the, but, the thing but, I tell chiropractic students and chiropractors all the time who are interested in this, like this is one of the best populations to work with. Number one, it's challenging because the body during pregnancy and in the like postpartum year changes as much as it does in the first year of life, which is the most that it's changing at any other point in time from a biomechanical standpoint. You know, you have all of these physiological changes that happen hormonally, but you also have changes that are happening structurally for short periods of time. It's a very challenging type of uh, patient population to work with. Simultaneously, there are not safe drugs to take during pregnancy. You don't do like any additional extraneous surgery during pregnancy. So what you have available to you is musculoskeletal medicine. So these patients are like clamoring for your help, grateful to have you on their team. 
And there aren't really a lot of other options for, for helping these patients. So it's a wonderful and rewarding patient population to work with. It's challenging. There are like, you know, some of the most grief inducing incidents that can happen in this patient population, but it's a wonderful population to work with. It's, it's a fun population to work with in general. It's, it's, it's a beautiful time to connect with people. And there are probably more male OBs than there are females. So what is the difference between you as a chiropractor who sees all number of people yeah. working with this population and a male OB who is, who's doing much more invasive work. That's, that's, yeah. you know, significantly more personal than what you're yeah. doing as a chiropractor. You know, I, I think, it, I, I, I think it doesn't matter at all. I'm glad you made that connection. Cause I, I, I never thought about that. Um, but that resonates with me and yeah. Yeah. You know, so many female, like my wife has a male OB delivered to mm -hmm. me, you know, like no sweat, no big deal. You know, no big deal. It's and your doctor who, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't right, matter. Perfect. Now I, I, I don't know why that is with chiropractic because they're, they're like, I know several male, uh, chiropractors who work with this population and, yep. and it, it, there's nothing strange about it. And then there are some males who are like, Oh no, no, I think that might be weird if I did that. Well, if you want to do this, there's room for you, you know, come on over. We yeah. need more people offering musculoskeletal medicine to this population. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to touch on it because like, just like you, I know some male chiropractors are doing phenomenal with this and it it's such a needed thing. And there's mm -hmm. not a lot of awareness around it. Even like in our own area, my, my wife dealt with diastasis recti and I'm not sure if you have any thoughts or connections with, with what, you know, pelvic floor in that or anything, you know, I do, <laughs> I know. So, uh, but we had a hard time finding anybody in our area that, that did anything with it. So yeah. it's, and I'm in a, I'm, in a, I'm not in a rural area. And no, so no, you're I, in a yeah, well-connected area. Yeah. So I yeah. can imagine like there's a lot of cities and towns that need folks like this, but yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Cause uh, obviously you get a lot of complaints on diastasis recti. Um, what do you got for us? Well, so diastasis is a normal part of pregnancy. Um, and for a little while, like I, I was kind of thinking like, okay, well, what if we could prevent this from happening? Well, and you know, this is several years ago, you can't prevent a diastasis from happening unless you prefer that the baby smash all of mom's organs, right? Like it's kind of a really great adaptation where the abdomen is expanding because they're, because it's supposed to. So we want the diastasis to be present in the postpartum time period after the baby has been born, mom's abdomen. I, I, I hate the terminology bouncing back. Yeah. I hate like the idea of getting your body back because th they're, they're nonsensical terms. It doesn't make any sense that you would bounce back because you're not a rubber band and it doesn't make sense. You would mm -hmm. get your body back because it didn't go anywhere. But a woman's body is not going to revert to its pre-pregnancy state because it has been changed at the cellular level. The, the, the way that she is now formed is completely different. In addition to, you know, after you have kids, you're like, oh, I'm a different person now. And I knew yeah. that everything was going to change because I'd heard that from people. But like, I am a completely different person. You are physically mentally, emotionally, spiritually, a different person after having children. Um, and this is also, uh, there are brain chemistry changes that happen in adoptive parents as well. So it's not just the, 
the birthing process that changes a woman. We obviously know that that males are changed by this process as well as adoptive parents. It's kind of cool. Anyway, we uh, we want the diastasis, which is just separation of those rectus abdominis muscle bellies, to be able to close so that there's not extra space in between the rectus abdominis muscles. In order for that to happen, we have to stop contracting the rectus abdominis muscle bellies in this concentric contraction, like intending to pull them together. What everybody wants to do is suck in the abdomen and activate the transversus abdominis. Well, that's again, the same thing as a Kegel, but in the abdominal wall where, okay, yeah, we could concentrically contract these muscles and draw the abdomen in. That's the same thing that we're asking people to do with the pelvic floor, which is, I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm pretty proud of the title of my book, Your Pelvic Floor Sucks, because yep. it does. And people, they, like they, you know, they don't buy the idea that their pelvic floor sucks. It's like, oh, no big deal. I just leak a little bit when I sneeze or cough or whatever. But the only thing that they know how to do with their pelvic floor is suck it up and in. That's the only thing they know how to do with their abdominal wall as well. Mm-hmm. So getting people to understand the concepts of pressurization of the entire abdominal cavity is really challenging, but having them suck their belly button toward their spine in order to quote, stabilize their spine isn't working, which is why we have a ton of people with low back pain, even though they're working out. I have low back pain, despite the fact that I do Pilates. Well, that's surprising. Mrs. Jones, you know, (laughs) like, and, and so we're, it's, it's, it really is kind of like two sides of the same coin. What we do to quote, fix diastasis is have people concentrically contract the abdomen. What we do to have people quote, fix pelvic floor dysfunction is have them concentrically contract the pelvic floor. What if instead we actually created a stable core canister that wasn't just concentric contraction of these muscles. And specifically, the other thing that people like to do is just say, that, that you should only do um, like the hardest part of something when mm-hmm. you're exhaling. Um, so exhale, and that's when you do the hardest part of your lift, to which I say, how do you move a couch? <laughs> because you're either just going to stand there and breathe out until you pass out, or you're not going to move your couch. <laughs> yeah. And and so, you know, so when we have a lack of integrity of the abdominal wall, because either there's been connective tissue damage from uh, like a very large diastasis that happened during pregnancy, which that can, uh, you know, that is fed into by whatever your health of your connective tissue is like, which, you know, includes everything from nutrition to genetics and and epigenetics on top of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, the, the same thing on the pelvic floor side. So if, if we have a lack of integrity in the pelvic floor, well, we can't just contract that and make it all better. If we have a lack of integrity with the abdominal wall, we can't just contract that and make it all better. We have Mm -hmm. to actually synergistically have the abdominal wall and the pelvic floor working together, which means we have to work on your jaw and your head position. We have to work on your overall posture. We have to address your breathing mechanics. We have to address your foot mechanics. We have to address the tension that you're holding within your entire body. And we have to address your nutrition. If we do all of those things, you'll have a functional overall system, which is going to include your abdominal wall, which is going to include your pelvic floor. So, you know, your pelvic floor sucks is the name of my book because it's true. It's all people know how to do, but it really is, you know, kind of guiding people through 
figuring out how to make their whole body as functional and healthy as possible because your pelvic floor is simply a part of that whole system. And speaking of that, which I do love the title, great, great title on that. Um, who is this book designed for? Is it for chiropractors, for, for patients or for both? So it's for everyone. I really do. I, I want chiropractors to read this book because I think that there's so much good that we can do in this arena. Um, I like there, I actually kind of want OBs and um, mm -hmm. midwives to read this book as well, because, you know, they, they're starting to talk to their patients about diastasis or pelvic floor dysfunction, but they don't really have a lot of tools available to them. And they have like significantly limited time available in order to address those things. So yep. I'd like for them to know some of the resources that are available and some of the professionals who are able to help. Um, and I want the general population to read this book because there are entirely too many people who are laughing off the idea of incontinence. They're laughing off mm -hmm. the idea of pelvic floor dysfunction. There was a study, uh, a poll, an incontinence poll done in 2018. Two thirds of the women polled did not tell their doctor about their pelvic floor uh, dysfunction, specifically about their incontinence. And over 50% of the women over 65 had incontinence. So over half the women had incontinence and two thirds of those women did not tell their doctor about it. So like a lot of people aren't speaking to their physician about the issues that they're having. So then physicians aren't asking any more questions. Mm -hmm. So I want everybody to read this book because I want people to recognize this is dysfunctional. We can do something about it. I want physicians to realize this is happening and you're not being aware of it because you're not asking the right questions and they're not sharing the information because they think it's normal. And specifically, I'd really love chiropractors to kind of like lead the charge here. I think there's so much that we can do. I think there's a lot that we leave on the table. And I think that there's a significant room for growth in how we approach care of the core and pelvic floor. I love it. And you shared a lot of the details and, and obviously some of the, the, the biomechanics and, and all the, the moving parts figuratively and literally of, of pelvic floor stuff. But what are some of the other things you're going to get out of the book? Um, my hope is that you, that you become more interesting at dinner parties because who wouldn't want to talk about the pelvic floor over <laughs> cocktails? Um, no, but realistically I, I, I lay out kind of some, some groundwork for like at the end of every single chapter is here's an exercise that I want you to do. And so there are physical exercises. There are actually like some mindset exercises. Cause one of the things that uh, a lot of patients run into is they've, you know, quote, done everything. Yep. And so this doesn't just apply to the pelvic floor, right? Like patients will come into your office and it's like, I've done everything and I still have fill in the blank. So uh, kind of guiding them through, okay, you've done a lot of things and I completely agree with you that you've worked really hard and you still aren't seeing the results that you want to, but how could we approach this from the standpoint of what is there that I haven't yet done? What is it that I could do more completely? And what is it that I just don't even know exists yet? that I, that I could in the future possibly visit in order to help make myself better. Like I truly firmly believe that the body is self-healing and self-regulating. And I know that we all learn this, you know, like you don't, you don't have to put a bandaid on the cut on your arm. It will heal itself. You don't have to convince your blood that it needs to clot for you to stop bleeding. Like your body actually does heal itself when it, things aren't functioning appropriately though. It can be really frustrating for patients to like figure out where it is that the, the, you know, the, the one problem that they could just fix altogether. Well, pelvic floor dysfunction is incredibly multifactorial. 
So I want to address not just the leaking pelvic floor. I want to address why the pelvic floor is communicating with the rest of, of the body in this way and how we can improve that communication. So, um, you know, we address a lot of the, like you said, the biomechanics and, and kind of like the ins and outs of how the pelvic floor works, but it's also kind of bringing in the rest of the body and how the pelvic floor is simply doing what you're asking it to do. So are you asking it to hold too much tension? Well, then let's intervene in a way that makes sense. And then why are you asking it to hold that much tension? How can we intervene to kind of keep peeling back the layers so that what we have left over is a fully functioning overall human, which includes the core and the pelvic floor. So end of every chapter has an exercise. There are some resources that, you know, I include at the end uh, that I have available for download that, that, you know, are kind of like, okay, if you do this, um, these exercises X number of times per day and week, like this is what kind of like a, a plan for you having a functional pelvic floor can look like. Um, and then I also have, uh, uh, like included some nutritional aspects and, and, and research of what's out there, why you get conflicting information, because some providers are like, no, this is absolutely how you have to do it. And other providers are like, never do that. You absolutely have to do this. I even go into, you know, kind of like the, uh, some of the outcomes from surgical interventions. And so what all options are there for treating pelvic floor dysfunction? What, um, what do we know about those? What, you know, I, I mean, I, I did go through a lot of research, the number of articles that are on PubMed, no one's ever going to go through all of them. And I think it's, you know, completely, uh, a, just a, a certain level of hubris to say, well, the research says this, right. Mm -hmm. i I have an evidence-informed approach. I have looked through a lot of evidence. I do clinical practice. I match the two together, compare that with the, the patient's own notes of what they're able to do, and, and we form a plan from there. It's not necessarily everything that's completely evidence-based because the evidence contradicts itself in a variety of ways. And I share some of that um, in the book as well of, of where we see, well, we got this result from this study, and this is, you know, moving forward, this is what we should be doing. Well, we got the exact opposite result from the same study. Like, you know, when you were talking about diastasis, there are, are several studies that are like, we absolutely need to be doing, you know, a cinched crunch type of activity, which please don't do crunches because that's a terrible idea. But, and, and then we have other, you know, things saying, well, when you do crunches, then it actually brings the rectus abdominis closer together, but that's only because the linea alba is now being lax and we need more tension within the abdominal wall. Like, the, the research that's available contradicts itself all the time. So trying to sift through that, if you're a patient is in it, I mean, it's, it's insurmountable trying to sift through it as a practitioner is it's just as challenging. You know, you just have a, a variety of different things. And that's a key thing that is so great about having a book that does this. It really puts it together for someone to be able to implement it, understand it without having to do all the thousands of hours that you had to do. Uh, to do that. So you can really streamline it. So where could they find your book? Because as we release this episode, it is now, the book it is, is now released. Available. So where, yeah, yeah. Where can they find um, it? So it's on the number one bookstore in the world, which is amazon.com. Um, you can actually just go to your pelvic floor sucks.com, uh, which I think should probably be like a safe for work website for you to uh, <laughs> um, but your pelvic floor sucks.com has more information about the book. Um, and, uh, as well as a link to that's basically just going to take you to Amazon to buy it. Um, but, but yeah, it, uh, I, I hope that it ends up on every coffee table around the world. That would be well around the world is a little like, that's, 
you know, I need to have somebody translate it into a couple of different languages. And I don't really know how my puns are going to land in other languages, but I'm open to it. So <laughs> I'm sure your, your humor transcends the English language. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, listen, I really appreciate your time again on this episode. It was very informative. I, I think there's just quite a few takeaways here that chiropractors can implement. And thank you for putting in the work to, to do this and helping out our profession. And obviously many people out there dealing with this issue. Yeah. Well, I thank you for, for having me on here again. I, uh, you know, give me a microphone. I'll, I'll talk all day. So appreciate your time. I really, I mean, I, I'm a fan of this podcast. So like I thoroughly enjoy listening, you know, MCM is, is on my iPad so that whenever I'm traveling, I, I, I have a couple of episodes that I can always catch up on. So, so thanks for putting this out there. Perfect. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you want to make the shift from busy, broke, and broken to time-free and cash-confident, or you just want to continue with the exponential growth, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com. Look at the MCM Mastery tab, watch the short video on there, and check out what we are doing now for evidence-informed chiropractors. We are equal parts coaching and marketing done for you. Yes, you shoot some videos. We help you with campaign strategies and ideas and really become a thought leader in your community. You shoot those videos, you send them to us. We produce, edit, and brand them to you. Then we distribute them through all of your channels. We also take them and we turn it into one good blog per month. And every other month, we have Darcy Sullivan producing a robust blog with a topic that you pick from her database to help with your SEO. So we essentially become your content marketing agency to make sure your practice is always having ethical, elegant content marketing to help grow your practice. On the coaching side, we also help you with everything from marketing ideas to business, communications, finances, anything practice growth and really try to help prevent you from being stuck on that island. And we hold you accountable. We have a great group of doctors that are just doing amazing things. And we look forward to help you out to take that next step in your practice. So again, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com and learn more.